Shashi, you're probably having conversations. God, my forehead's now reflecting. The, what the f***, man? <laughs> this has to go on air. How's can that? We start, can we start the episode with it? Now I look like I'm in the dark. I think you should brush your hair. <laughs> to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. Uh, joined today, uh, we have a full crew. Uh, we have Carol Hamilton, Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, and Shashi Shramali. So uh, welcome, everybody. Glad to see you. Um, I, you know, this is, um, this is second episode in a row um, that we're sort of revolving around this one topic of uh, coronavirus and pandemics in general. Um, this time, you know, I think we wanted to take up the, the uh, discussion around, um, you know, impact to our, our clients and their business, um, and maybe some uh, ways in which as consultants, we could actually uh, help our clients kind of be a hero um, in this time of sort of unprecedented uh, crisis that they may be facing. So, you know, Bill, um, I kind of wanted to, we haven't, we haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you. Um, I want to throw to you real quick and, and get your take on this topic and, and maybe some ideas around this. Could you elaborate on this for us a little bit, please? Yeah, I think this is an opportunity to assess perspective um, because everybody can sit back. Uh, decisions aren't necessarily being forced. The, the, the normal course of business has been completely adjusted. Um, not sitting back and asking strategic business questions, but asking the questions that the people, um, people in general don't have the don't give themselves the time to ask. Given the whole CDC recommendations and the social distancing, um, this is a prime opportunity to experiment with digital business models and digital uh, service offerings. What can and can't you digitize? Um, but even probably a bit more fundamental that, an opportunity to experiment with how to experiment. If they don't experiment, they're just gonna you know, keep going uh, status quo, but there's not gonna be much more capital required right now just to say, hey, let's make this a digital offering. Um, and so I think perspective is really sitting back. Um, and also the last one is engaging. Um, and I'm on this big citizen, quote unquote, citizen innovation. I just call it people being a product company, but experimenting with how does it, what does it mean to be a product company and engaging people who generally don't build or uh, build products for a company, um, engage them in the process. Is there anything new or unique about this time? Are, are these, are these things that we should be doing anyway with our clients or is there something about um, the needs right now, with Bill mentioned cash flow and some other things, right? That maybe there's an opportunity here for us to help our clients. Consultants can actually help client in the either ways, whether it's an upward trend, when the market is doing really good, and when the market is doing bad. That is one benefit of being part of this industry because you can help them solve the bottom line problem as well as the top line problem. So I specifically work uh, consult for healthcare clients. And uh, what I'm seeing over the last couple of weeks is um, some of our clients came to us and say that, you know, hospitals, that you guys work remotely, you know, all the time. Can you help us, uh, you know, digitize our workforce? Like how people can start working remotely because there are some part of the health system or the health plan where people usually go there in person, but now 
um, you know, insurance companies because there are so many claims that are going to be filed because of this whole situation. So the show must go on, but they are not very well equipped with uh, working in a virtual kind of environment. So here we are putting together uh, our best practices on how we make it work. And that becomes sort of a quote unquote, a service offering where client actually need that. And that is not even our core capability. We never thought of this as our offering or our product, which we will ever take it to a market. There are some specialized places, but we have been fairly successful in doing that. That's number one. Second is healthcare has been probably a um, big laggard when it comes to, um, when it comes to anything, you know, adopting digital, right? But with this particular scenario, we have been talking about telehealth. We have been talking about virtual health. We have been talking about remote monitoring and all those stuff but nothing has become mainstream in last 10 years. Regulations has been around since 2008, 2010, uh, and all these things were there, you know, but nothing has become mainstream. I think this particular scenario or event will accelerate uh, the adoption of digitization within the healthcare industry, and especially the providers where, you know, I think you, when you, you get more sick, when you visit the doctor's office, because there are so many viruses floating around with people, so is there a better way for the basic stuff we can continue to do it remote as compared to visiting in person? So for healthcare industry specifically, is going to accelerate the digitization and we as consultant can help them uh, A, in doing that. And also we can support them in if they are looking at reducing their cost, we call it cost optimization. So intuitively, as you rightly mentioned, it comes to the mind that, oh, we have to reduce the cost. Let's, let's cancel, let's like lay off people but that's not the right solution. So we got to take a look at it more closely. So um, Phil, I mean, you know, Shashi's got, you know, the giant healthcare company that he's working with, right? Or uh, health payer, right? I mean, when, when I, know, I know your business model has shifted with some of these times, are you detecting among the people that you're talking to um, a sense of doom or is this a sense of opportunity for them to go and maybe, uh, apply their skills in a way that they haven't before. I think it really depends on where they are at and, you know, the kinds of clients they are dealing with. So some are completely done, right? I mean, there are some, some of us who are like, you know, our regular revenue stream is just on pause. Nothing's going to happen there, but we've talked to other people. It was like, you know what, we can make a gentle pivot here. We could do something different. So I think that the, uh, there are all kinds of threats. You know, we've, we've said this a, a bunch of times. I mean, you might be, you might be threatened by not having your customers anymore because your customers can't get to you or don't have access to you. You might be threatened because of vendor relationships. You know, your supply chain gets interrupted in some way, or you might be right in the middle and you're non-essential services and the government can shut you down. So I think you can be in all of those places. And I have seen folks at both the levels of, this is, uh, you know, this is something we can figure out how to get through, and we are completely trying to figure out something new to do. And I've seen this week, I've been on a bunch of calls with a lot of people. I've seen calls all over the spectrum. Wow. I, that's, in some ways, it's a little scary, actually. <laughs> I was on a call earlier this week where a guy, you know, small business kind of guy, right? And But I was on a call this week where the guy had just done this pivot, and he sold half a million dollars worth of personal protection equipment this month, it, you know, because it was adjacent to a vendor that he was already doing business with. I mean, he had to do some discovery 
but it was that part was easy enough, but it was a, an adjacent vendor said, look, I have access to the stuff. Can you get it to where it needs to go? And he's like, I know how to do that. Interesting. Uh, you know, so what I'm, what I'm wondering is, you know, Carol, I know you deal a lot with sort of, you know, executive um, level folks in, in training and, and whatnot. Or, right. I, I don't know if, if you've been able to re-engage with them given the travel situation, but have, are you detecting a sense among sort of leaders of businesses that, that this is a moment for opportunity or is this a, you know, holy bleep? Let's, yes. You know, <laughs> so it depends on which industry you're in, which industry you're talking about. And there are some who say this is absolutely opportunity knocking. Um, you know, this is a really nice time to be in tech for sure. Uh, those folks, the, the, the data providers, I think, and the data organizers, big data managers are going are gonna to do very well in this if they can manage the timeline. And the timeline is what's come up more than anything. So we're looking now versus everybody was thinking, okay, this might happen for a couple of weeks. Okay, maybe it's going to be three months or, or three, 30 days. And now, as of yesterday, we're now having conversations about 2021. And what can we do to limp through 2020 so that we are not vulnerable to this happening again, should there be round two of this? And then also so that we're in a position that we can virtually manage a little, a small portfolio of, of various trainings and communications and then ramp up again in 2021 when clearly we'll have all the answers. So, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that somebody at least is thinking at that level. You know, what if this takes a big chunk out of the rest of this year, a smaller chunk out of next year, and a, a small chunk out of the following year just in this, right? Because that's a very possible outcome, right? Right. Well, and one of the things that was an unexpected consequence, um, I have a, a very small healthcare provider, but uh, I happened to catch an interview where a healthcare provider in, in nothing but the, the kindest of ways was talking to a reporter and saying, oh, I just remember this one person who was brought in and we didn't know it was Corona or we thought it was and we just sent him home and had him have aspirin and we just keep thinking about that and, and every bell and whistle went off in my head. Uh, we got to think ahead about lawsuits here. You know, who's talking to the media and what are they saying to the media? Because this is the stuff that's going to just go berserk on the other side of this. And I think we all have to take a, an empathetic breath here, but make sure that we're not setting ourselves up for a much bigger tsunami on the other side of this. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, there's also, you know, it sort of just occurred to me, right, in this, in I don't know why it just occurred to me. It seems obvious now that I'm thinking about it, but like, you know, in this rush to like do something, right. We're going to go do something. We're going to fire a bunch of people, whatever, but you know, forget the people problem <laughs> for a second. Right. And let's talk about the, the tech that you just, you were, you were discussing, right. Is this, is this now like, Oh my God, we're going to slam in a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to, you know, increase our VPN connectivity. We're going to do a whole bunch of VDI over here and Citrix and all this other stuff. Is there a risk here that we're actually creating new technical debt, like by by not thinking through in a strategic way our technological response as as companies to to this? In other words, is is there is there an opportunity and maybe a responsibility on us as consultants to advise our clients? You know, slow down, right? Let, let's think this through. Let's plan in the longer term uh, for some of these things so that we don't end up causing more problems uh, when this is over uh, than we had before. 
I want to push that back to you for a second, Chris. And I, the reason I say it is, you know, I know you and Shashi in particular are dealing with larger clients. And the my question I have is, you know, what is the sense you are getting from them about this kind of thing? And are they, you know, are they trying to solve the problems they were already solving just because of inertia? Or are they actually saying, wait a second, this really is a shift? Or do they realize that the impact of that is something that's already baked into their business model? I'll let Shashi answer that one first, and then I'll give my take on it. Okay. No, I think um, they are looking at this as an, um, uh, a temporary situation. So they want to, it's, everybody's in a wait and watch mode. People know that this is, situation is going to be like this for at least next three, four months, uh, if not more. Uh, that's just a starting point. Um, and then hence they are taking those uh, actions. Uh, but these technical debts are not baked in into anybody's financial uh, uh, sheets. Absolutely not. Uh, this is something which they need to invest in. Uh, more and more companies are going to further do that. I don't think that is a technical debt, Chris, to answer your question. I think this is forward looking. This, this is the need of the hour. Uh, some industry have adopted this uh, much sooner than uh, you know others, uh, but all the other industries are eventually going to catch up. And I remember we spoke about it once, right? We have to find the right balance between being 100% digital versus being 100% brick and mortar store. Um, so this is going to further accelerate and help us find that right balance. The the, the client I'm working for, right? Um, there's been like a I don't want to see knee jerk, but there's been like a reaction like, oh, we got to go into war mode. Let's think about business continuity, right? Let's focus, let's like stand up the teams and do this and do that. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're heavily dependent on contract labor, right? So they have that as a, as a dependency for uh, doing the routine, you know, maintaining the environments and running the whatever and this and that and the processes. So they, they do heavily rely on that. So I think there's some thinking there like, you know, this may be, you know, crap, maybe we shouldn't be so heavily dependent on external forces that we can't directly control, right? If, if India gets locked down, right? If Cognizant goes into a lockdown in India, right? How does that impact me? Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to own a little bit more of, of, or have at least contingency planning around what would happen if I lose cognizant. I, you know, not to just keep beating up cognizant. But no, right. no, no. I, I think I think you are hitting on the right point. Uh, you know, we cannot be dependent on some other country. Uh, you have to find that balance. There, there will be an element of or a degree of deglobalization if there is there is a term which exists. Deglobalization. Uh, so Let's you heard it here first. Deglobalization. Yeah. Yeah. Reverse globalization. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, again, I think about my client and as a consultant, one of the things that, you know, I'm um, trying to set up a conversation with them about is, you know, listen, um, you have a high dependency for a lot of your institutional knowledge on things that may go away. Right. In other words, how many years worth of knowledge about uh, systems and processes and, and business processes and business capabilities. How much knowledge are you going to lose if, if that external um, reliance, right? If that dependency turns into a liability, right? And now it's like, I'm faced with, let's, I mean, let's be clear, right? I'm faced with an inability to actually execute some uh, routine foundational things, one. Right. Two, right. even if I can find somebody to do it for me, 
I can't call bullshit on them anymore because I don't have any knowledge about what they're doing because we don't have any of those skills. We outsourced all of that, right? And so, you know, that's, it, it's not about like, oh, let's insource everything and, you know, yeah. quadruple the cost. It's not that. It's what is your plan? Um, are, are there some things that you could look at in terms of, let's say, a, a, an architectural framework, right? Like some, uh, some core differentiated capabilities, right? Your core capabilities. Maybe you should have a plan to be able to execute on all of those core capabilities yourself and have knowledge in-house, owned by employees, in the employees' heads, not contract heads, right? Employees' heads, that your intellectual property is safe right in in times like this i mean that's one of the things that i look at because i think if, if my client goes and proposes that to the cio he's going to look like wow you know that's a really good point we really should be doing that good job right who, who did you have advise you on that oh it was it was chris lockhart over here right are you getting that level of strategy thinking right now um so so what i would say is and again i think a lot of people are in heads down mode let's let's run the business yeah you think about strategy but picking up on the thread that you brought up carol right i mean 2020 planning is going to get underway or 2021 planning is going to get underway right. here shortly right you got to yes. be thinking about these things as a business and i think it's incumbent upon us as their advisors to help them re to help remind them there there are there is a three-year horizon here guys and what does right. it look like now right and let's keep that in mind and as consultants, how can we be the, the bridges between things also? Because I think that we have a perspective that others don't have across industries, across companies. And then to be able to come in and say, you know, I think you should put your, your R&D in the room with this R&D and see what you can do because you have different capabilities and possibly you can come up with product Z that's never been thought of or service you know, whatever it is and, and really milk the whole collaborative, disruptive collaboration thought. Bill, I see Can your I head nodding, it? so please. I'm about to coin a new buzzword. Everybody heard it here first, right? It's the anti-fragile portfolio. Nice. So everything you talked about is the anti-fragile. So that was at uh, uh, the Steve Nicholas to love, his book, Anti-Fragility. He comes up with this concept of anti-fragility is the property of a system that increases its capability to thrive as a result of stress, shocks, noise, mistakes, uh, faults, attacks, and failures, i.e. what's happened right now. So as you're talking about from an executive perspective and what consultants can do, I think you take on anti-fragility consulting, another buzzword heard here first, going through and helping them look because I don't think, I mean, this is the pessimist in me. I don't think much is going to change. We're going to come out of this and people are going to go back down. Not much is going to stick except the fear and the hurt, which the fear will drive future decisions, not the good decisions made out of it. Because in general, let's just be blunt about people in business. They're not necessarily trained, nor do they have the perspective to take something like this and um, do anything but react from the hip and fear it. And, and so more entrepreneurial folks and entrepreneurial folks, they'll, they'll deal with this very well because this is a huge opportunity. You've literally just can't do certain things. You put stressors on the system and they'll figure out how to de-stress the system, those folks will. Uh, but to your point, as I look at from consultants and what we can do to help, it's sitting with our, it's sitting with our clients and saying, okay, right, you just had one of the biggest stresses and shocks to the system. What can we do? Where's our, where's, where's our um, bottlenecks at? What, whatever that may be. And let's stop thinking a little bit about running the business as usual and start thinking about what does this look like going forward and how do we keep, um, and I don't want to use the term risk mitigation. I hate that because it's overblown. Yeah. Um, 
although as I'm introducing you to two new buzzwords, I don't know why I'm hesitant to use risk management. Um, but uh, <laughs> these things have been in existence forever. Companies always had, I mean, business continuity plan. You keep on writing, even when you are doing the whole, uh, Chris, like any kind of a deployment of enterprise software, you put together a business continuity plan and all those things have been existing. The question is, it used to be more like you are filling some paperwork and just getting it done. And now when the actual thing happened, then all these things go out of the window. So, so the way to look at it has to change. And I assume there will be a lot more investment because when the cost cutting things happen, then these are the first things to get suffered. Uh, now, I think there'll be a lot more after this whole thing, there'll be a lot more investment in that area. And these things would be taken more seriously. Uh, I've been building BCP plans forever now, but I'm not sure what quality of what the rigor well, it goes through. Well, and this, I did want to bring this up because I mean, you know, Bill, uh, you were talking about like a black swan event uh, while we were doing our pre-roll here, right? Black swan events. They come out, you know, you can't predict, you know, you, all the, didn't we just have one in 2008? It wasn't that long ago we had another black swan event. Have we learned nothing, right, about business continuity? Have we learned nothing about how to run a business in crisis mode? So, so that, that's- Whatever that, we learned, we forgot. Isn't well, that the key uh, that our job is to come back and be the memory and say, <laughs> I don't want to remind you of how bad that sucked, but as you go back to business as normal, isn't that my job to come back in and go, uh, excuse me? You know, could I just re-quote you, tell you what you were saying back then? Well, but this was to the, the truth of this, didn't, I mean, didn't businesses actually implement their business continuity plan here? I mean, they had a place where they couldn't bring the people into work. Did they not send them home using uh, SIP phones and all the kind of technology they were going to use? Anyway? I mean, didn't it actually work? And if it didn't, tell me that. But isn't that what we're doing right now? I wonder, right? Because... You know, not at, not at my client necessarily right now, but I, I mean, I do see like what I perceive to be panic, right? Like panic, chaos, right? Fire half the workforce, furlough everybody. Oh my God, right? As opposed to like a, a little more thoughtful, I don't know, in my, what, what my perspective would be, like a little more thoughtful way of doing it. So, so, so what that entails is, I, I want to highlight one point to on Chris's thought, right? So we spoke about the business continuity plans. So back in 2008, whatever happened, probably they thought about it. And the knee-jerk reaction to that debacle was getting rid of the people. But the way that whole 2008 thing was created was a I mean, corporation made, right? So somebody goofed up majorly. This was not health hazard. What we are facing right now is health-related. It's going to kill people. So either you save people or you save your economy. So it's like a double-edged sword at this point in time. And people were not ready for these kind of pandemics. Um, they were not ready for this one. Hopefully they'll be ready for the next one if hopefully it doesn't happen. Well, and you, to your point, a bit of Phil and Shashi, so a plan assumes that it has a basis of assumption about why the plan is enacted, right? Um, what I'm seeing is like, I saw this in Irma with a specific company at that point in time. They had a, they, first of all, they didn't have a business continuity plan. They shut down. They didn't know what to open back up. But then the second thing was their disaster recovery plan called for like two engineers and a third to go do this X, Y, and Z. Sat around a room and said, okay, who are the people that are doing this? And the group of people that put it together, nobody, nobody went. So the whole concept about plans is, you know, it's the concept of planning that helps. But when the plan first meets the situation, it's, all, it's mostly always going to fail. 
And so even though we talk about, Phil, to your point, you're saying, well, people had SIP phones. Yeah, that's cool. But how many people have sent almost 100% of their company away to tax the VPN to actually see what it looks like for an extended period of time to manage this? Mm -hmm. And just because I have it in a 30-page document, this is what I'm going to do, aka I have a plan, doesn't actually mean it works. Um, they've never stressed their system. They, they, they've never tested their system. Um, and this is why I love Amazon. Side note, Am you want to study something interesting, study the Simeon Army that Amazon put out. They literally in production, they go through and they take down complete data centers and make people respond to it. And that's actually how they build anti-fragile systems. They create shocks to their own system, see how their system responds, and then they go fix those shocks and so it gets stronger next time. You're talking um, about chaos and engineers and things like that? Cool. Yeah, the Simeon Army is what it's called. They have Chaos Monkey. They have uh, the Big Gorilla. They a couple of things, but that's what they do is they literally they release the software, um, and it's a part of site reliability engineering from a technical standpoint. But the whole broader concept of reliability engineering is good document, good older documentation on that, and goes to the point of like your backup plans is all reliability engineering. When things go unreliable, what do we got to do? And just because you have a plan, and this is at most companies, the, the plan. Um, it's, it's almost like, what is it? Was it Mike Tyson or who was it the first time that the plan goes out the window the first time you get punched? So, so, uh, it's funny. You are saying that yesterday I was watching TV and the Bill Gates said pretty much on similar lines, forget about corporations, even government was not ready for this kind of, uh, scenario. There was no scenario testing, which was done. So you could be prepared on how to react to that situation. Uh, to your point, what you just mentioned, right. Um, you know, inject. Uh, you know, problems within your system so that you can create an anti-fragile system, go and fix those. So nobody had that kind of plan and nobody did a scenario testing because they never expected the scenario to happen. But so back to Carol's point though, isn't it, isn't it our responsibility as their advisors to help them with that? Right? Well, maybe, especially maybe in the communication solve part. Maybe you can't solve for, you know, unknown unknowns, right. but you can say, look, there are known unknowns to paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld, right? There are known unknowns. And here's a, here's a superstructure, here's a framework within which you can operate in, in the event of several different kinds of, of situations yeah. that you should be prepared for, right? You should be prepared with, you know, let, let's just go with the planning as we were talking about planning, right? You know, you should have a three-year plan. And I don't just mean, you know, we're gonna be in, you know, CICD heaven in three years. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about from a business perspective, what is my three-year strategic plan and what does that funding look like? And do I have visibility into that funding and my capacity and my demand so that when an event occurs, I can trigger you know, uh, a, a more thoughtful analysis that says, you know what, these are my core capabilities. These are foundational to my business. Uh, I need to run those. Um, but these other ones, this is my secret sauce. These are my differentiated capabilities. I also need to focus on on these two things, maybe not all 10 of them, but these two are the most important, right? Some sort of prioritization or triage framework, right? That can adapt to a situation. But if you start looking at the, you know, the international ramifications and the mass confusion, that has not been a part of anybody's plan. And, and I would hope that that changes going forward and that the communication right. trees and how we're reaching out to each other and who's in charge would be really helpful when the politicians don't know. So what can we do? What can we do to help our clients answer those questions? Well, start talking about who are you, how do people hear from you? Because you are in a constant race with the media. And so I go back to when the Malaysian 
planes went down and they had a communication set up through Twitter and they got extraordinary, they just got beat up for doing it that way. And the CEOs uh, came out and said, we got we to gotta communicate with these friends and families of the people who went down in that plane before the media has a chance to really scare the hell out of them with headlines. And so we want to have an immediate place where they can go and know it's us talking. And I think that leaders need to stand up and say, it's, this is, when you hear this from this format, whatever that format is, whether it's internal or some version of social media, you know it's us talking. And we're responding to all of the garbage going on that we're helping you sort through what's happening. Because I think when you get into these larger companies, that is probably creating a huge piece of chaos. And then you're adding in all the, the other headlines that are coming in. And now you've got an emotional aspect that was not baked into the plan. People aren't trained, or nor do they think about, or do they try to educate themselves on how do you handle a chaotic situation? Um, the quote-unquote fog of war type approach. Nobody's going through doing scenario planning, doing war gaming, whatever it may be, to your point. So this is that's why this stuff happens. And maybe that is the outcome, and that's where we help is go in and say, okay, let's war game this. Let's do this a couple times. Um, you know, I go back to the Simian Army. You know, Amazon takes their stuff down. You cannot simulate a Google-sized environment, nor can you recreate it, nor can you recreate an Amazon environment. But you can simulate it. You can simulate sections of it. You can simulate scope and scale. Um, so what does that look like? And starting to ask those questions, I almost think that there could, I won't call it a boutique industry, but there could be a boutique consulting industry around, um, and I'm going to overuse the term anti-fragile because I really like it, but building anti-fragile systems, broadly speaking, not IT, but going into companies and saying, okay, you're not going to be able to manage the chaos. First off, this is indefinite. There's no finite to it. You can't manage it. So don't think you can, per, you, you can bring, um, a basis of uh, finite to this. So let's figure out how we do and manage this, and let's you know, let's 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 work on those skill sets. Phil, I mean, you've been in technology now for several of these sort of disruptive events, right? Over, I don't want to say you've been around a long time, but I know you've seen a lot, right? The, yeah. Right. Um, is there anything? So two part question. One: Is there anything fundamentally different this time around than some of these previous things? Um, the events that have happened in tech. Um, and then second, you know, what were some of the things that we as consultants or contractors or advisors learned from those previous events that maybe are applicable now? I think the issue here is this is a big event. And not only have we never been under quarantine before, our parents were never under quarantine. It was their parents that were under quarantine a hundred years ago or whatever, right? But it was not, you know, my mom was born in 1931. Her mother certainly saw World War I, right? And saw 1918 and, and what that was like to have mass uh, quarantines in the United States, right? So we've never seen those bits. Um, I think, you know, I was thinking about all this stuff. It's our business continuity planning. Did it actually work? And I don't know. I think some of this is. I mean, part of it's just great that the technology kind of got baked into everything we were doing, right? We all got used to carrying smartphones. They're great terminals. We've built a relatively robust but not awesome in internet infrastructure in the United States. Doesn't reach rural areas. Falls down on Mother's Day kind of events. This is a Mother's Day event, right? It's, it's at high capacity. I haven't seen the carriers talk about it, but surely they are at it. I mean, you know, we've 
and Netflix and all the rest are downgrading the performance of their video streaming just to allow the pipes to carry what's going on because yeah. people are at home and, they're, and we're doing this. We're, we're doing this kind of stuff right here. So all of that stuff is going on. Uh, but I think, you know, there's obviously, uh, in addition to the hand washing, there's a lot of hand wringing. Um, but the whole, what are we, you know, how are we in this moment? And it's like, no, man, uh, we didn't see this coming exactly. Not that it wasn't unpredictable. We didn't see it coming exactly. But we took the best parts of the plans, I hope, that we had in place. And at the same time, we went back to some knee-jerk reactions that everybody has done every time before because we thought maybe it would work. I don't know. We don't know. So, you know, people did those sort of things. I mean, you know, I think about from Carol's side, oh, my God, the terrible communications I've seen from some companies, you know, completely and utterly tone deaf to their audience and the fear that they might be in or the uncertainty of their operating environment and their stuff is you know their their communications reflects their own fear so i think there's a lot of uh, there's just a lot of stuff here a lot of scared people doing some dumb stuff i want to pick up on that thread is there is there a a consumer or customer experience play here given the difficulties given that people aren't always equally good at it right is there an opportunity here for us to advise around customer experience but here i'll make this quick Josh. i think there's an opportunity but this comes down to uh, ingrained behaviors uh the people that are going to change have leadership just because you're in a leadership position doesn't mean you're a leader um because they have the leadership to do it they're already doing it and they're successful right now a couple weeks in a month into this they're the one successful ones the other ones that aren't successful have the tone deaf it's gonna, you know, it's just gonna take for their leaders, their existing leaders, and I use leaders loosely, um, their existing management structure to to move on, um, and maybe that could be some of the consulting provided. I just, I, I think I want to be realistic. I don't want to be pessimistic. I want to be realistic. This isn't gonna change a lot of people's behaviors in certain areas, but it may start altering future behaviors. We'll see change three to five years down the road. You know, all of a sudden, everybody started reacting with, we got to take care of our customers. We've got to reassure them we're thinking about COVID-19. We got to really do this. And it seemed like every single email had somehow been cut and pasted out of the CDC's recommendations. And I thought, oh yeah, you care. Yeah, this is, this is right there, really feeling it with you. I thought, this is such a missed opportunity to connect to humans. Find the writer in the group. Maybe you're not, maybe you're the leader, you're the high tech person, or you've got some other skill that got you there. But there's got to be some human somewhere in your organization who can write something to a customer that says, we really are thinking about you. We, we see what you're thinking about and we are addressing it in this way or we are attempting to. But, but cut and pasting didn't do anything except by the fifth one, just plain annoy me. I thought I, you have moved, now you've actually gone the other direction. You know, nobody's customer avatar was scared witless before. They didn't start with that, right? And that's kind of where they are. And so no one came in. I mean, this is a journey map. And basically that person, whoever it was you were dealing with, they're afraid. And why not meet them there and then see if you can help them move forward, right? Just, it is, it has been unhuman, right? And I, but I'm convinced that it's a fact that companies themselves are scared and some of them are so isolated from this, you know, who, I don't, was one of the, one of you guys. No, oh, yeah, it was one of, I'm not going to say names, but somebody just told us the story of, oh yeah, the CEO's house is on some beach somewhere 
you know, he's sheltering in place in a multi-million dollar house. And it's like, yeah, this is terrible. I can't, uh, I can't get room service. Yeah. All the celebrities complaining about their boredom. I I sit there and think, you know, why don't you go volunteer in New York? Let's just, let's just put you into the hotline there. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put this in again. I have committed like other celebrities to go without makeup all the way through this this thing. I'm just going to, this is going to be, it's just going to be me, me. This is it. This is the way I look, folks. This is what you get. My, my contribution, my contribution is to um, is is to really come down hard on fat shaming because um, I've I've probably gained I don't know. <laughs> right, <pounds>. right, right. <laughs> yeah. Is is there a cyber threat here also at play potentially? Is there uh, oh, yeah. is this an opportunity for criminals to take advantage of this? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Holes and stuff right now. I'd be going through if I was if I was a cyber criminal, I'd be going through feeling every vector I could because, you know, people, VPNs, whatnot, people are just reacting and people are just doing it to do. Oh, absolutely. And this is going to stress test an identity management system for sure. Right. This is an agile. Uh, what, what were you calling, Bill? Anti-fragile system testing, uh, but not really testing is directly in production. Yeah, exactly. right. It's That's a Microsoft right. way. Yeah. We're going to test the live version. Exactly. I want to ask your perspectives on what are, what are some short-term and what are some long-term um, plays or uh, things that we could advise our clients on um, to help them through this, not just to survive, but maybe to actually take advantage of, no, t- that sounds terrible, but uh, to um, take advantage of the moment and actually thrive. In other words, come out stronger than the, when they went in. I'll give you one, I'll start this off, right? I think, you know, the, the, the rush right now to look at discretionary spending, right? It's like, okay, well, we're gonna cut discretionary spending. Well, you know, maybe, maybe a better, maybe, maybe that's a short-term play, whatever. Maybe you need, maybe you need to um, speak to the investors or the street or something and show that you're doing something. But um, I think that's incredibly short-sighted, right? Um, that spend was put in place for various tactical and strategic reasons, right? And it's it's only discretionary because it shows up on you know a, a, a balance sheet somewhere and looks bad, right? And you need to do something. I think a more appropriate response would be, look, you know, we don't have to do this exhaustively, client, but you know, let's let's spend two weeks and let us let us go through your portfolio. Um, the things that you are doing, the things that you thought you wanted to invest in before this was going on. Let's take a look at your available capacity in terms of uh, human capital, in terms of um, resources, and and let's let's do a bit of triaging. Let's look at you know what is what is fundamental to your business. What are some secret sauce things that you want to do that you think it gives you a, a competitive advantage um, over your client or over your your competitors, right? And, and let's make some smart decisions about what we can take out um, and what we actually really want to then invest in. You know, maybe this is an opportunity, Bill, you mentioned it at the beginning, I think, right? Uh, maybe this is an opportunity to actually grow our top line, right? Not just, not just reduce our operational costs, but actually grow the business. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is that knee-jerk reaction, the idea of let's go ahead and cut that discretionary spend. I mean, that is because most people think that is the quickest way to preserve situational advantage, right? I'm trying to look for flexibility and they assume that the flexibility is in their cash. 
when that probably isn't the place. It's what, in, what are people thinking? So I agree with you entirely. I took a group this morning, just this morning, through a SWOT analysis of each of their individual portfolios, right? What are you doing? What's re, you know, what, we, what can we use to our advantage here? The threats in the environment at, that we're at at this moment, what should be what we be walking away from saying, look, that's just contested ground. I can't do anything with that. But at the same time, you know, we talked about discovering, identifying, and building trust into our opportunities and the folks that we're both doing business with, the people we could be doing business with, and saying, how can we be doing more inside that space? So, you know, that's a standard tool inside the trade. Uh, just go out and say, where are we inside that portfolio? What ought we to be doing? I think that you have to look long-term on how are you protecting your business from, from people coming in and making judgments and especially around the whole idea that, that somebody on your staff may have been infected and therefore may have had access to customers or may have had access to each other and God help us if someone dies. And I mean that from a very empathetic place as well as a financial one, which is it can destroy a business. And I think as uh, the other piece, and I, I had a client recent, this week accused of burying their head in the sand. And I don't care if you're a good leader or not, you have got to be visible. You you are the visibility to the media. So gag the, gag the staff and then become the spokesperson who's then available to have the very conversations that, that Phil just alluded to. First, it'd be looking at it from the entrepreneur perspective. What is my top line opportunity right now? A huge opportunity to provide an immense amount of value in different industries has just opened up. What is that? An experiment quick. Um, if I'm advising other people, um, a bit of it I'll look at, I'll just call it reliability engineering. Um, a bit of three things I think you here, take five to 10% of your resources. And I'm not talking about capital, I'm talking about people um, and go through and look at your system right now, find your bottlenecks, your system's broke. The system in general is broke. So find your bottlenecks, um, explore solutions to those bottlenecks. You don't have to be everybody doing it, five to 10% of people. Um, but then also experiment with how to experiment inside your company. Um, I don't believe most companies, uh, a lot of them still have the same product set. Nobody has a product mindset. The really good companies that are doing well right now have a product mindset. They know how to experiment with experimenting. Um, and I'd almost be like, treat this like Jobs when he came back to Apple. When Jobs came back to Apple, he had, what, 15 different computers. He cut it all down to one computer. It focused, got rid of all the peripherals, and he focused on doing one thing very well. This is the time to get back, and I think we've all alluded to this. Focus on what you're doing well, where you add core value, and then figure out how to continue adding that in the interim, but how to, how to um, make it exponentially grow as we come out of this. So for me, in the short term, uh, you know, communication is the key. The leaders need to come out and communicate in the right way. Um, to Bill's point earlier, if some of the leaders are not good communicators, they need to have somebody within the team who is good at it, who would, and the communication has to have an element of empathy. They cannot be ruthless and say that, you know, consider your PTO uh, as your day off, you take force PTO, take this cut and that cut. All of us are in this together. But that element of empathy has to be there. Now we understand the businesses are going to go through the down cycle. They will be cost pressure. So there are various ways to handle it. So we need to look at those opportunities and some of the firms are doing it in a very, very nice way. For example, not taking bonuses, right? We understand having a job is important. If I make like $10,000 or $20,000 less than what I'm making, will I be on street? No. So if all of us can contribute through that manner, you can you know, sustain for a longer period of time. So that's like immediate short term. For medium to long term, they have to look for 
stress test their business and look for alternative business model. If something like this happens in the future, what is my market base? Where I can channelize more? How can I diversify even more? Um, so those are the things that needs to be considered uh, in, in these tough times. So plenty of opportunities out there. So Phil, can you can you elaborate a little bit more on that SWOT analysis you did, and maybe give us the name of that, if um, of that activity you run, if someone wants to reach out about doing that? Yeah, for several years we've done this uh, mastermind group, right? And the idea is we just bring together a group of people who are trying to do something together. In this case, we're all trying to you know liberate our lives and sort of build a tribe. So the folks in there are primarily consultants at some layer, but they're in various different kinds of things, but usually small business type consultants. So we've been doing this uh, for a long time. And today, it just felt like the right thing to bring into the group was to say, all right, we are, we're in environmental change. There's a big shift. We got to, you know, we got to deal with the issues of self-care. We got to deal with the issues of family care and kith and kin. But we got to also say, let's do a SWAT on the businesses we're running right now. What are we really good at? What are we having trouble with? And in the new operating environment, what are our opportunities? Given this threat, what are our new opportunities to do something else? And uh, it was just it yielded some great and interesting ideas. Is that something that um, you know people could reach out to you about maybe conducting for them or on behalf of them or in a group setting? Yeah, you know, it's this is a funny thing. And this, by the way, is one of those things for me, which I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to. And that is, we've always done it in person. I've always really cherished and relished the idea of being in a room with all the right people and having this conversation. And we and I've had multiple people say to me over the years, you should do it remote, you should do it remote. And I always felt like I'm not going to have the eye contact I need. I'm not going to have the feedback and all that I really need in order for us to do good at it. Well, guess what? I don't get any of that now, whether I want it or not. So I have to do them through Zoom. It's worked out really well. Um, you know, I think we could, you know, this has just worked out fascinatingly well. So uh, we're able to do it. Folks are in various locations. Um, yes. So now I'm in the opportunity. It's like, okay, I don't have to do this with just folks who live within 20 miles of me. I can do this with a much larger group. So if someone thought that they wanted me to do it for their group or they wanted uh, to jump into one of ours, or I think I'm going to end up creating another one now because I've got enough interest in doing one that's, you know, just kind of the new group, if you will. Yeah, just reach out to me, Twitter or something, LinkedIn, and uh, tell me about it. Thank you, guys. Um, listen, I appreciate it. Um, always good um, seeing everyone virtually. <laughs> and uh, so um, we had Carol Hamilton. Uh, we had Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, Shashi Shramali. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thank you. And um, if you have an opportunity, go to the YouTube channel. In fact, you could just Google consultants saying things and you'll find sort of all the channels, the website, the YouTube channel. We're on Anchor, right? Apple, Google, everywhere if you want just the audio version. But subscribe and also like some stuff. And of course, it's on LinkedIn. Um, so go comment and ask some questions. So appreciate it very much. And uh, we will see everyone next time. Thank you.